by showing up to Sunday school, you actually add to your righteousness. Did you guys know that? That's not true. That's a joke, by the way. You, do, you get less time in purgatory, as a matter of fact. The more Sunday school classes you go to, and that's what the certificate says. I certify you as dismissed from purgatory. Amen. That's right. Yeah, I, I actually got one this week. I brought a little box. The more, also, I, I'm accepting, you know, I got to buy Christmas presents this year, you know, so you can contribute to my children's Christmas gift fund. Christmas gift, Christmas gift fund. Oh, geez, my tongue's already tying up, and I haven't even started church yet. Oh, good night. It's going to be crazy. Um, anyway, uh, we've been talking through and teaching through the kingdom of God. Now, the, the question mark that happens very often in contemporary evangelicalism is when, is when is the kingdom of God? Now, we've been teaching through this for a long time, and so our gut reaction by this point should be the kingdom of God is at hand, right? That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is here and now. And, and Paul, whenever he was teaching back in, remember Acts chapter 19, we talked about this. When he was teaching, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. It said that explicitly. So he was making it clear and known to his people that, hey, the kingdom of God is here and here now, and it's being built here and now as well, right? That's kind of the gist. But what I want to do today is talk more in depth about specifically that timing. Because there are some people, not many I would say, um, but there are some who will vehemently put their foot down and say things like, the kingdom of God is not here yet, but it is still coming. Right now we're in what's called, uh, some refer to it as the church age. Have you ever heard somebody use that terminology? I'm sure you've heard that before, Landon. Um, the church age, which is, it's not the kingdom age yet. The kingdom's not here. The kingdom comes at the end of all things. We'll talk more about that today explicitly in the sermon as well. Um, but the king, we're not talking about the end of all things. We're talking about the here and now. The kingdom of God is here and now. We're building the kingdom of God here and now. It is at hand. It is present. It is being built. Are y'all following with me so far? And I want to take us through uh, what the Bible has to say about that. So Acts chapter 1. Somebody read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 for us. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Anybody got that? Read it loud when you find it. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. Okay, wait. So Acts, bonus points. Who wrote Acts? Luke. Yeah, very good. Luke wrote Acts. Very good. Okay, so go ahead. Keep going. Speaking about what? The kingdom of God, right? Okay, so he's been saying for his whole ministry, and so was John the Baptist, guys, the kingdom of God is at hand. Guys, the kingdom of God is here. It's happening now. It's, it's moving. It's building. It's and then Jesus, specifically in his ministry that he had for about 40 days after he, y'all recognize that too, right? So Jesus rose from the dead, and he had a period of time where he was on the earth, and he was teaching his apostles, and we talked about Paul did this the same way. Paul, whenever he found believers, he taught them, but he taught them for about three years, probably, you know, because he wasn't Jesus, took Jesus 40 days, took Paul three years. But you get it, like they're pouring this instructional content out. They're trying to teach their people what it means to be a, part of, to be a Christian, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he spent 40 days speaking, teaching about the kingdom of God. So here we again 
have this picture, remember from Acts chapter 19, here we again have this picture of this body of knowledge being communicated to Jesus' people, this way of life, right? How do you live as a Christian? There was instruction that they needed to have on this whole new worldview that they were going to receive, and it took time. It took Jesus 40 days to give them all of these uh, particular things. And he's preparing them also for what? What, was, what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven? Do y'all remember? So Jesus, he's like, hey guys, I got to go. They're sad. Jesus said, it's good that I go because if I go, then you will get what? The Holy Spirit will come. So he's talking also, he's preparing them and getting them ready for the day that the Holy Spirit is poured out, the day of Pentecost, right? That's what we're talking about there. So that's an important piece for us to hold on to. Now, the whole Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, the whole Old Testament anticipates the coming of the kingdom of God. And we're going to read some specific passages that's going to help us understand that a little bit more. One that comes to mind really easily, though, is um, Christmas passages. Uh, what? And the government shall be upon his shoulders and, you know, his, the, the reach of his rule will expand and will continue to grow. And uh, that's uh, Isaiah, I believe. Isaiah 62, I think it is. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. I only remember it in the song from Handel's Messiah. I'm sorry. I sang that whenever I was in college and that's just there in my brain forever. Um, but Old Testament forever is anticipating the coming of the kingdom of God. John, whenever he had his ministry, said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus said the exact same thing. He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 and 7 say this, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So where's the kingdom? Are they all still waiting for it? It's here, baby. It's here. So whenever you run into folks who are like, well, the kingdom's not here yet, and be like, home skillet, everybody said it was coming, and then it came, and everybody said it was here. Like, it's undeniable pieces of information here. In Acts, Acts chapter 1, what's Jesus teaching about? He's teaching for 40 days about the... Uh-oh. There it is. Thank you. <laughs> we just did that. He's teaching about the kingdom of God that's come. And Acts ends with Paul in Rome awaiting his appointment with Caesar, which he was probably executed at. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 says this. He lived there, this is Paul. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's not saying, okay, guys, how dumb would that be? Could you think about this? All right, guys, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of God, but it doesn't matter for at least another four or 5,000 years. But I'm going to teach you about it. That would be stupid. Of course, they're teaching about what is current and happening at this moment. And all the verses between his kingdom advancing in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, that's what we're seeing in the books of Acts. Honestly, the, the book of Acts would be really fun to go through verse by verse because it really is kind of like a kingdom building playbook. If you really think about it, like that would be, that might be something that we do at some point. Acts chapter 3, verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. You see, he's talking, he's like, the whole Bible's been saying this, guys. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is, there's your Christmas text right there. 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this day forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about the kingdom of God that will be established on the throne of David. Who descended from David? It was Jesus, okay? Jesus, king, ruling and reigning, expands his borders, expands the kingdom of God throughout the world. All right, let's just talk history for just a second. Since, you know, whatever, 0 AD, all right? So since that moment, since Jesus' resurrection, Christianity has exponentially grown throughout the world, right? It is the world religion currently at this time. I don't care what the news says. And it is currently going crazy in China, in South Africa, and people are getting saved by, by the tons. We are having happening here in the West, in the United States specifically, <coughs> excuse me, in the United States specifically, we're having this reawakening to Christian orthodoxy. Like this, these doctrines... Okay, these teachings, these understandings, this is historic Christian Orthodox faith, all right? But we're just kind of starting waking back up to it again. It was the, you know, premillennial dispensationalism that kind of snuck in, and it, realistically, dispensationalism exists on like a 70-year cycle. If you ever study church history, you can kind of see that every 70 years, 80 years, it kind of pops back up again, and then it goes away, and then it pops back up again, and then it goes away. I'd encourage you all to check that out and do a little bit of reading and research on that. I can give you some books to take a look at, too, for that. But it's a, this, the kingdom of God is here now. We're building and advancing it now. We're doing the work now, is, is historic Orthodox Christian faith. In fact, uh, a post-millennial eschatology of building the kingdom of God was the standard until World War II. Can anybody think about why World War II, World War I would have thrown that? Because the world was at war. Okay? Everybody was, it's very hard to maintain a positive eschatological worldview whenever everybody is burning other humans alive and nuking each other and dying of chemical gas in the trenches in World War I. Do you get what I'm saying? In other words, what happened was their pragmatic view of history became their worldview rather than what the Bible says. Are you all following with me here? Does that make sense? So they stopped believing fundamentally what the Bible said and instead let what was going on around them influence how they read the Bible, which happens to all of us, right? Like the way that we, the way that we read the Bible is influenced by our current worldview, which is why it's so important for us to have a, a grammatical historical hermeneutic, okay? The, a grammatical her, historical hermeneutic meaning we understand the way that people in the time in which the document was written talked, that's grammatical, okay? And we understand the history in which we live, that's historical, in order to understand what the words they wrote down on a page mean. Got it? That's a grammatical historical hermeneutic. That's why we need pieces like that. So anyway... God is continuing to advance his kingdom. And the really interesting, my favorite part about that passage in Isaiah is at the tail end of verse 7, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The kingdom of God will advance, it will be built, and God's going to do it, period. It's his mission, he's going to fulfill it. And that's a wonderful, comforting thing in my 
honest opinion. God's zeal will advance his kingdom, but how is he going to do it? How is the kingdom of God built? Is it just like supernatural and it just happens around you and you just kind of... How, how's the kingdom of God built? This is a class, so y'all can talk. This is a safe place. And you can also say wrong answers. How's the kingdom of God built? Through the church. But what does the church do? That's, that is, yes. Ah, yes, there we go. We make disciples. That's very good. And we, we, how do we, what do we do with disciples? We, well, I mean, what does the Great Commission say? How do we make disciples? We make disciples of all nations by doing what? We, we baptize them, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, in other words, if they're not believers, they get converted, okay? And, uh, and we what? We teach them what? All that Jesus commanded, right? And thus, the kingdom of God is built, which is why I'm, I'm really just convinced more and more and more and more that the primary responsibility of the church proper, as in like the, the church like pastorally and elders and all that kind of stuff, is the teaching ministry, which is why the apostles okay, had deacons to help with, they called it waiting tables, right, to make sure everybody got fed. But the apostles dedicated themselves to the study and the teaching of the word and to prayer. You remember that? They had a specific lane that they ran in. And so if the teaching ministry of the church suffers, everything suffers. That's why these mile-wide, inch-deep churches, they don't ever do anything except, you know, hold Christmas extravaganda Broadway productions or whatever the heck you want to call it. Like, that's, we got to go deeper than that. If we are short in the teaching ministry, we are short in everything. And it's not the job of the church. All right, I'm on my soapbox for just a minute. Sorry, I didn't know I was going to get here, but here we are. It's not the job of the church to do evangelism, right? Are y'all following with me? It's the job of the church administratively to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry includes evangelism, right? So pastors aren't evangelists, although some are. The saints are equipped for the work of the ministry, which one of those works is evangelism. And you, evangelism doesn't mean that you, you know, go pass out tracts necessarily, but we live our lives. This is good stuff right here. I hope y'all are listening. We live our lives according to the body of teaching that Jesus gives us, okay, to live Christianly, and our light shines before man, right? They shall know who you are by your love, one for another, your good works. You shine before men, and people see the light. They see the word, and they're like, oh, I want to be a part of that. Y'all see how this works? Like, this is important stuff. And so if the teaching ministry of the church breaks, everything falls apart, right? You've got to have that teaching ministry where we're teaching what Jesus taught, what Paul taught, the kingdom of God, how to live in it, how to build it, and how to move it forward over time, the Christian way of life. Does that make sense here? I feel like I just dumped real hard on you for about 30 seconds there. Y'all got that, right? Do y'all have questions about that? But you see how that changes everything, don't you? Like now our corporate gatherings on Sunday are not about the visitor. They're about the body. You see how that changes that? But a lot of churches, they don't get that piece. But if, we, if we're gathered so that we can immerse ourselves in the word and worship the living God of the universe, which is what the Bible says we're supposed to do whenever we gather, instead of worried about visitor assimilation processes, then now the people of God can go forth and be witnesses 
and win and advance the kingdom of God and the gospel and all those things. This stuff gets me jazzed. Can you tell? Like, I'm just, I'm excited about this, man. I feel like we're waking up, and it's, it's exciting to be a part. Y'all have questions about that? Any questions or any thoughts? Some of y'all are just like, let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go right now. <laughs> That's good. I'm excited. All right. <clears throat> so the Old Testament, anticipating the kingdom of God, anticipating this culminating event in which the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the kingdom of God is really, boom, about to just go out and do all these different things. Um, why, and specifically on what day, you know, we talked about this already, obviously it was Pentecost, there was this moment in time, and the prophecy foretold <clears throat> uh, Jesus, Jesus said what to his apostles? He was about to ascend into heaven, and he says, wait in Jerusalem, wait here. Why? Because the day of Pentecost is coming, and I'm going to pour my spirit out upon you, and we're about to do some work. So the, Jesus, Jesus prophesies that this is going to be what happens. Ezekiel foretold the same thing. Ezekiel 32 foretold the Spirit being poured out, uh, like water flowing down, all those different awesome passages in Ezekiel that we didn't quite understand. That's what it was about. It was about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about, right? And then he walked across the water, and it was an ankle deep. And then he went down a few little bits, and he walked across the water again, and it was knee deep. You all remember those passages? And you're always like, what the heck is going on? You know, I'll tell you what's going on. He's talking about the same thing that he talked about whenever he said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. He's saying, I'm going to pour the spirit out, and over time, it's going to cover the whole earth as the Lord continues to pour his spirit out upon his people, right? The water is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm talking about? This is why that terminology is so important. It's the pouring out of the spirit, right? And this is why whenever we start practicing pedo-baptisms, we're going to pour the water out because that's the visual, you understand? It's not a sprinkling, and you definitely don't shoot them with a water gun. I don't know why people were doing that for a little while, but you, you pour the water out upon them. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. That actually happened, okay? It was like COVID six foot, sup, sup, sup. Okay, kids, kids <laughs> baptized. Dead serious. I'm not making this up. That happened. Um, but you pour the water out. It's a symbol of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and all those things. Um, good. All right. So we're going to think about teaching through Acts at some point. That would be a lot of fun, I think, and be helpful for us as, as kind of we learn and, and we're going to, going to get to go through different things. But there is not a church age. Y'all see that, huh? There is not a church age. Here's the problem. If you operate in this eschatology where, well, now it's the church age, but the kingdom's coming, then what does that mean you're going to do? You're going to sit on your duff, and you're going to... Well, I'm just supposed to wait right now, and, and the, Holy, the Holy Spirit came, and, but the kingdom of God didn't come, and, and the folks who advocate for the idea of a church age, they typically will argue things like, um, the kingdom came, and it came to Jerusalem, but the Jews rejected Jesus, so the kingdom's not here yet, it's going to come back later. So they recognize all the scriptures that say the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. But since the Jews rejected Jesus, this is the argument for the church age, since the Jews rejected Jesus, they're like, well, then now the kingdom's not here anymore because the Jews passed on it. Except that's not said anywhere in the Bible. It never says, well, and the Jews said no, so psych, kingdom's not here. What's Paul teaching about in Acts chapter 19? He's teaching about the kingdom. What's Acts 28 talking about? It's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is most definitely here. It's obviously here. And we've watched it historically expand. That's why the church has continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there's not, a, there's not a church age. 
That's not to say that we can't be friends with people who think that there's a church age. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's our good old Southern Baptist brothers, you know, some of them probably believe that. Some of them don't necessarily know what they believe, but that might be a piece of it. <coughs> um, our good old Assembly of God brothers, you know, they probably believe that same thing too, although some of those Assembly of God people are heretics. Watch out. Um, and then most of the Church of Christ is probably heretics, so maybe not them. We're probably not on the same page. <laughs> Heads up. I'm just saying stuff today. This is all getting recorded and put on the internet. Who knew? Like, this is going to be fun. Anyway, <clears throat> so, Pastor, what about the church age? I was taught that we are in this little parenthesis, this moment, this kingdom was in the future. That's not true. We're not, that's not true. That's not accurate. That's nowhere in the Bible. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Um, it's, not, it's not a thing. Pastor, if we're in the kingdom, what part do we play? What part do you think you play? I'm asking questions because I'm assuming maybe some of these questions are rolling through your heads. What part do you play? We build the kingdom of God. We already said this. By what? By the proclamation of the, of the gospel, right? But what is the gospel? Ooh. Let's have fun for a moment. What, what, is the, what does it mean when we proclaim the gospel? Come on, y'all. Kick the ball around with me a little bit here. We're not going to have any fun on Sunday? I love this stuff. Y'all got to love this with me. What's the proclamation of the gospel? Come on, come on, come on, come on. What do we got? The good news, yeah. The UN Yeah, that Jesus is God and man. That's, a, that's definitely the go- that's gospel news. That's gospel truth. Yeah, what else? What else is the gospel? Forgiveness has come, right? But wait, what if I don't even know that I'm a sinner? <laughs> but that's gospel too, right? Yeah, like, so if, you, if we just walk up to somebody and say, I have good news, Jesus died for you. They're going to look at you like, what? I don't care about that. What does that even mean? That's, that's going to go right over their head. One of the first things that we have to proclaim to people in order for them to get the good news is the what? You're not the boss. Yeah. The, ooh, that's a gospel truth right there if I ever heard one. That's a great gospel truth. You're not the boss. <laughs> that's right. I think that's a great gospel truth, right? You're not the boss. You're not God. By the way, that's one of the primary things that the, the rod of correction teaches your children. Did you all know that? The, the rod of correction, the rod of discipline primarily teaches your children that they are not God. Number one, there is an authority over them, in other words, right? That's really what it's showing. And so, I mean, it shows a lot of other things. And the ultimate authority is not mom and dad, because mom and dad, if given their own choice, nine times out of ten, would rather not spank their kids. Come on, can I get an amen? Come on, y'all. Y'all all know this is true. But my, I love my child. I know, I know. And you love them enough to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that they can grow and to be faithful people. All this stuff's crucial. But yeah, so um, discipline is one of those important pieces. That's good. What else is the gospel? You see what I'm saying? Like, come on, let's do this some more. What, what, else, is, what else are we proclaiming to people? The, the, in, in the Bible, the teaching of the word. God is God, you are not this is how God says you should live your life, not like you are currently living your life. Is that gospel? Yeah, that's gospel. Here's my, here's my point that I'm trying to make. If we're trying to tell people the entire gospel narrative in one sitting, good luck. You know what I'm saying? That's, that is, at best, if you are a fantastic theologian and can articulate it perfectly, a 10-minute conversation. Do you know what I mean? 
That's a lot. But if we can meet people exactly where they are, and we see, some, we see a, a friend who's you know, embezzling from their company, and we can say something to them like, hey, don't do that. God's law says don't. You need to stop. They've got, they've got a degree of, oh, my goodness, what I'm doing is wrong according to a moral authority that exists outside of me and above me in the hierarchy of the universe. You see what I'm saying? Like, boom, we just built a lot of categories real fast by the proclamation of the gospel, of the law. Do you get it? Here's what I'm, I'm trying to get us away from this mindset. Okay, I'm going to say this so that everybody can get on the same page with me. I'm trying to get us away from the mindset of law versus gospel, okay? Y'all following with me here? Because if you only have what we've been calling the gospel for the last 15, 20 years, and you don't have any of the law, the gospel doesn't matter a bit, Okay? Now, if we were in a quasi-religious culture that knew the law of God, check, check, check. If we were in a quasi-religious culture that knew the law of God, and we could just respond with to people who already knew that they were sinners, that'd be awesome. But our problem today is nobody knows that they're sinners, right? Nobody knows the law of God and the moral authority that exists over all the universe. So we got to proclaim that to them in order for them to get the gospel in the first place. See what I mean? This is why it's so important that whenever Paul talks about his sowing, he's like, Paul plants, Apollos waters, God gives the growth. In other words, there's different stages of gospel proclamation all along the way. And you don't need to try and necessarily cram everything into that 10-minute conversation. Good grief. On Sunday morning, I talked for 45 minutes, and I think I'd be lucky if everybody remembered 15% of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. So there, there's not a distinction. I want us to get away from having a distinction between law and gospel. Our calling is to proclaim, Jesus told us, baptize and teach all that I have commanded you. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the, the commission that God has given to his people. And so we as God's people go out and we, we do that as best we possibly can. And we trust the Lord with the results. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Peter, you had a question. Uh-huh. Yep. What is truth? Yeah. Yeah. There is an absolute truth, and that absolute truth comes from an absolute authority. You know what I'm saying? So maybe, maybe that would be, for us today in our current context, I would say that the beginning of that conversation might be more like there is an absolute authority, and it's not you. Same thing we were talking about a few minutes ago. Because right now, our world is obsessed with being God. That's why boys want to become girls, because they can't, but they want to be God. Do you get it? Do you see what I'm saying? Or the vice versa of that. Or uh, you, that's why we have homosexual marriage, faux marriage, um, that exists right now, because Literally, biology does not work that way. It's not possible for biology to work that way, okay? And yet, they're in rebellion, not to anything. I mean, sure, maybe they got daddy issues or parent issues or whatever, but the real thing <coughs> that they're in rebellion to is the God of the universe who decided the way that things would be ordered, right? <coughs> Ooh. I've been having this all week, and we're going to be all right. Does that make sense, you guys? Okay, good. So the kingdom of God is here, 
And in order to build and progress the kingdom of God, we proclaim all of God's words. All of God's words. Because all of God's words are, I will definitely take that in a moment, all of God's words are good news. Okay? Are y'all following with me? Teach all that I have commanded you. All of it. Building of the kingdom of God is through proclaiming all of God's words. Now, you're still wise, right? Because the Bible says be wise, shrewd. And the Bible advises us about tossing pearls before swine. Remember that? And so there's, there's nuances and wisdom and application and propriety and all those different things here. But my default is just, I'm throwing seed. You know what I'm saying? That's, my, that's just my default. I'm just out here throwing seed, and we'll see what happens. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I just kind of operate in life, and I proclaim true things that the Lord says to various people whenever I'm given opportunity. And sometimes they care, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes it ticks them off. And I respond in the appropriate way after the fact. <laughs> yeah, you know? Some is good soil, some is rocky soil, some is, you know, some is a path. It, you know, whatever. I'm just, my philosophy right now is I'm just throwing seed. And you don't know what the Lord's going to do with it along the way. Amen. All right. Um, that's enough for today. That's enough for today. Any questions before I close this out all the way? Cool. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us opportunity to worship you. I pray that we would worship you and delight in you and that we would look to you above all things. Thank you for this good class where we get to come and hear and heed your word and trust you and follow you. And I ask that you would bless our time in corporate worship today, that we would think of you and that we would proclaim all of your good truth to all of those around us that you give us opportunity for the next several weeks. Thank you that we get to celebrate Christmas and the good gift that you sent your son to come and die for us. And I pray that we would honor you and love you more as a result. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. See y'all in a few minutes.